When people moved off the farm into the city, they took their children with them. What children find on the streets of the city does not appear to bode well for their future, nor for the future of the country. And so we ask, how can we lead children back to the farm? Welcome to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with your host, Michael Olson. And now, get ready for one hour of What's Eating What Radio. Well, hello out there. You are tuned into the 1347th edition of the Food Chain Radio Show. Or hey, perhaps you're among our friends over there in Frankfurt who are tuned into the Food Chain Podcast at MetroFarm.com. Well, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome aboard. I am Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What. Folks, I had the good opportunity and good fortune to having lived on the grandparents' Montana farm when very young. I still remember to this day driving my first working tractor at the age of six. It wasn't anything special. Grandfather Carl hoisted me up into the seat, put the tractor in gear, and said, I'll meet you at the end of the field. Every living thing on the grandparents' farm had a job to do. Nobody, nor anything, got by without doing the work. It was not a policy laid down by the grandparents who owned the farm. It was just life. If one did not work, one did not eat. It was true for the people, the animals, and the plants in the field. We all participated in the business of life. Yesterday, I had the privilege of accompanying a couple of Montana boys, Braxton, aged nine, and Cohen, aged six, to the first Major League Baseball game in a big city. Their enthusiasm for the game was infectious, and all who were seated around them in the stadium took joy in their excitement, especially when the six-year-old won the scramble for a foul ball. As I enjoyed the boys' enthusiasm, I wondered how that enthusiasm would be met by life in the big city, in any city. On the farm, enthusiasm and love of living were always well nurtured by the business of life. But what in the city can manage and give guidance to the enthusiasm of young boys and girls? Not really finding a ready answer, I ask, how can we lead children back to the farm? Well, here to help us find an answer, we have a person who does just that. Her name is Jessica Ridgway. She is the executive director of Farm Discovery at Live Earth. Jessica, welcome to the food chain. Well, thank you. Hello. Well, now I have a Jessica story. Uh, I was recently attending a Farm Bureau luncheon or dinner, annual dinner, and uh, lo and behold, they have a 50-50 raffle. And Jessica oh <laughs> Ridgway won the raffle. But instead of taking the 50% cash, which was her due, she took her ticket and put it right back in the bucket. So, Jessica, why did you put the cash back in the bucket? You know, it was such, I did it so quickly. Um, I think uh, paying it forward means a lot. And um, I am so blessed to have my job and do what I do. And a lot of that is fundraising. Um, and so I think I just got caught up in the moment and um, wanted to 
put out there what I've been receiving for 16 years with Farm Discovery. And I saw it, and I was very impressed, and a lot of other people did too. And uh, paying it forward is what it's all about when it gets right down to it. And uh, so thank you for doing that. That gesture meant a lot for, to a lot of people. So let's I'm so glad. Yeah, let's start with a, a brief description of two things. There seems to be two elements in what you do. One of them is farm discovery, and the other is live earth farms. So let's start with farm discovery, and then catch up a little bit on live earth. Farm discovery sure. is what? Well, farm discovery is the educational programs at live earth farm. Um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we got started in 2007. Um, we had a school approach us asking to um, have their kids out on the farm every day, every Thursday of the school year. And Farmer Tom is a yes man, and he said, let's do it. It was part of the CSA model all along to have community out on the farm. Mm -hmm. um, and I just luckily got put in touch with him about two weeks later. Um, I had just finished a degree in sustainable ag education at the University of Vermont, and I was looking for more farming experience and a way to use my degree, and I really just wanted to do farm-based education. I wanted to get people connected to their food um, because it touches so many parts of us. It, you know, it, it, it touches the environment and it touches our health, and um, it, it, it is a place for community and so um, I reached out to Tom, and he said, hey, great, I've got kids on the farm every Thursday. I have no idea what I'm doing with them. Let's, let's figure something out. <laughs> uh, so I took a part-time job with Live Earth Farm, just learning to farm, um, getting picked uh, apart by the workers who could pick so much faster than me, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and uh, got started on this project with the Santa Cruz Montessori School. Um, with some devoted teachers, designed a whole program, and they are with us 16 years later, still coming every Thursday of the school year. Um, and that gave us the opportunity to reach out to the community. We had um, a little bit of income from that program. Um, and so I just started um, canvassing. I started asking people. I was new to the area. Um, so I just started connecting with people, asking CSA members. I um, hunted for principals' emails and teachers' email addresses um, and just started asking if there was a need for, uh, for bringing kids to a farm to learn about where their food comes from and to, and to learn how to eat well. And we got a huge response. We had 800 kids come out to the farm in the first year, and that was just because teachers and principals thought it was a good idea and started bringing their kids. 800 kids the first year. How many kids... Have you brought back to the farm, Jessica Prentice? Oh my gosh, I don't have a, a total number, but I but it's about thirty five hundred a year now, uh, including families. We we have many of our programs are for adults so as well and for and for families. So that's a lot of kids. So thirty five hundred a year for eight sixteen years. Yep, that's right. Wow. Yeah. So well, only eight hundred in the first year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the the big question, Jessica uh, Ridgeway, Executive Director of Farm Discovery at Live Earth, why? Why do you bring kids back to the farm? What is it that compels you yeah. to do that? Well, um, uh, as Sylvia Previdelli said when she won Farmer of the Year, everybody eats. 
right? It's something that we all share, and it's a way that we connect with each other. Um, and we've gotten very disconnected from where our food comes from in a lot of ways. Um, and it's so central to our existence and to our survival. Um, and because it's so central, it, it also touches every piece of our lives. It, it touches our relationships with our family. Um, when we sit down around the dinner table together, we connect. Um, and it touches uh, the environment. Farming well can be good for the environment. And farming um, in harmony with nature is actually creating spaces for wild animals and insects and kids to interact with ecology. Um, and then it's, it's, um, it's also really a, a time when we're struggling with our health um, as a community, as a culture. And when you eat well, plant-based and, and not too much, um, you, you thrive. Mm -hmm. so, um, so getting kids connected to and, you know, touching food and um, picking food and growing food, they're much more likely to taste it and be willing to scarf down some broccoli at dinner time. Um, so we're doing all of those things out on the farm getting our hands dirty and <laughs> climbing trees and <laughs> and learning to eat broccoli. <laughs> do you do you remember the moment when the apple dropped on your head? Gosh, at the farm it might have literally dropped on your head, but <laughs> <laughs> that moment when you thought we can do this. Oh, the this program, well, I, you know, I um I I traveled a bit after I got my undergrad degree. And it, seeing the world really, um, you know, meeting people from so many different places and in so many different situations, um, that's where it really drove home how important, um, you know, water quality and access and food quality and access is to everybody on the planet. And I, um, that's when I decided that's how I wanted to mm -hmm. do my part in the world. Um, and... And, and food was compelling. I, you know, I'm a suburban kid. Uh, my grandfather grew, grew roses with all kinds of chemicals on them, and that's how I learned to garden. Um, but, uh, but, but traveling to places where people have, uh, you know, are living more hand-to-mouth and really are still connected to their environment, um, it, it gave me a window into what we could be doing and how we could be living. But why, um, ch but why children? Why did you focus uh, on children? Yes, because they have their whole lives ahead of them. They're all potential. <laughs> they're all, um, yeah. They're and they're um, they're excited about everything. <laughs> uh, it's very easy to get a kid excited about something, um, and so and and it's all possibility with them. They have everything ahead of them. And you know, the interesting part with kids is they, in some ways, they have less agency, right? They're they're not necessarily the ones at the store choosing what's being bought for the family, um, but they will be. And um, and the habits we form as children uh, really carry through our lives. So if we can reach kids and get them excited about farming in a sustainable way and get them excited about eating in a healthy way, then um, we have a bright future. You know, in taking the boys, as I did yesterday, to see a, a Major League Baseball game, um, what was so fun to me was not so much the ball game because I've been to a few, but in watching the boys' excitement at the game. And it seemed like everybody around the boys was relishing in their joy at being yeah. involved in the ball game. 
And so yeah. the joy that these two boys brought <laughs> to everybody around them was very fun to see. Do you see that as well? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, we we do what we do every day. And um, like anything like that, you, you get used to it, right? So um, you get used to just the routine of things. Um, but then a new kid comes to the farm, and when it's new to them, it is all excitement and happiness. And we we really relish that. Um, they they bring uh, you know, something new every day, something new and exciting to the experience. Um, and we're so lucky to be get to be around kids. They're the best. And lucky to have a place to do it, too, because there's a yeah. significant yeah. element in that. So yeah. it seems Absolutely. like everybody is happy participating in this <laughs> program. Surely there's somebody that's not happy. Who is that? Huh. Well, every once in a while we have, uh, you know, someone fall over and skin a knee or something. In that moment, they're not happy. Um, but usually they figure it was worth it after the fact because they've just done something cool like run over a log or, um, you know, climb the tree. Who's not happy? Gosh. So there you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're, we're having fun today. We're taking children back to the farm to give them a taste of, of real life which is hard to find yeah. on the streets of the big city where most everything is concrete and video and uh, not much real life there. But we're finding some back on the farm with Jessica Ridgway, who is the executive director of Farm Discovery at Live Earth. Uh, and the question we have on the table today, how can we lead young back to the farm? Please do stay tuned. And now, back to What's Eating What on the Food Chain with Michael Olson. Michael Olson and Jessica Ridgway, Executive Director, Farm Discovery at Live Earth, a Vermont girl who ends up in California. That's quite a leap, Jessica. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I actually grew up in Connecticut originally, um, and... I started saying from about the age of five that I would move to California when I had the chance. Um, uh -huh. When my parents took me to meet my cousins on the West Coast and go to Disneyland. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm a Montana boy, so something similar happened to me. Only mostly I think it was uh, the, the surf music, you know, two girls for every boy. And who could pass that up? I couldn't. So I'm a... Um, California boy now as well and love the golden state hope it stays gold and we're doing what we can to help it do so by reintroducing or introducing I would suspect uh, for the first time a lot of children to the farm is it their first time Jessica you know, we get a great mix. Um, Santa Cruz is such a diverse county. We have kids from all kinds of backgrounds and um, and a lot of engaged parents who, you know, raise chickens because chickens are fun for kids and a lot of families who have gardens and then others who live in uh, much more urban settings um, and have less access. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, South County is full of farms, so, so most have at least passed one and noticed some food growing before. <laughs> It's hard not to in the county in which we live, but I suspect if you were in, like, San Francisco County or Los Angeles or someplace like that, 
hard for kids to find uh, a way to relate to the earth. What was your thinking in in you know what was your objective I guess in in setting up farm discovery? Did you have a a mission statement as it were? Yeah, our, our mission is to empower youth and families to regenerate health in food, farming, nature, and community. Um, and yeah, the the idea is uh, food is where we connect with people. Food is how we uh, nourish our bodies, and um, it's and and farms are where that comes from. So uh, so if we can all uh, connect to the land in the way that it grows food and do a better job of growing food with land and with nature, then we're, um, we can fix some of the problems we've created as a society. Well, I think maybe you're right. Now, I have a, a quick, amusing little story. Uh, the two boys are staying with us, and, and of course, they, being Montana boys, it's like meat and taters kind of diets. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my wife challenged them with some green beans and, and said that uh, if you eat... Ten green beans. I'll give you twenty bucks for the boardwalk. <laughs> and, uh, awesome. and the the looks it, work? it worked. The <laughs> the looks on their face was uh, truly amazing uh, because the six year old said, "Oh, I can do that," and uh, he actually liked the green beans, and the yeah. the uh, ten the nine year old. Ate the, ate the green beans, but really had a sour look on his face. But at any rate, <laughs> it was fun to watch. And, and, and that is exactly uh, what we were doing, I guess, by connecting kids with with their food and, the, and uh, the possibilities of being able to eat other kinds of food. And on the farm, I suspect you get to introduce kids to a lot of different elements of food, correct? Yes, yeah. It can take kids, um, you know, up to 20 exposures to something to to like it or to, to be willing to eat it. And so, you know, so, but not all of those exposures have to be you have to take a bite. You know, sometimes um, picking it off the vine is one of those exposures. And, and certainly um, and being involved with growing food seems to really um, impact how kids are willing to uh, eat. So when you bring to the them to the farm, I think there must be a lot of kids that you bring. How how, yeah. how do you manage that? Oh yeah, well we have lots of different spaces to work with the kids in, um, and uh, we have animals. We have chickens and goats, and a cow and pig and horses, um, and so and then our garden and fields and strawberry patch. Um, so we have lots of spaces to spread the kids out. We have a staff of six, um, and so, you know, depending on the group, we usually have about 10 to 15 kids per staff person. Um, we'd love to involve more volunteers in our larger groups. Um, that's lots of opportunity for that during the school days. Um, and we break them into small groups, and we do different things with, uh, with them and then rotate around the farm, and they get to see it all uh, in the course of a visit. Uh, right now we're running summer camps, and so they get to be on the farm for a whole week from 9 to 3, and they get a little touch of everything, um, including reading books about farming and art projects with nature materials and 
um, hikes all over. Uh, it's about 150 acres, so there's a lo- um, plenty of space for nice hikes up to a redwood grove and down to the big production fields. And then we have our smaller fields up top. Um, and and the reason for the fields up top in the garden are that um, when kids are farming, it is really important, or, or doing any kind of hard work, which farming is, uh, it's really important for them to see progress and to be able to look back on the project and uh, feel accomplished. So we really designed the size of the projects for the age group and for the number of kids that are doing the project um, so that by the end of it, they can look back and really see success. So if they're going to weed a row of tomatoes, it's going to be the right size row so that when they're done, they can see that cleared out row and feel good about it. Um if we put them in the production fields, they would just be discouraged and it would feel endless and mm-hmm. and that wouldn't leave a good taste in their mouths, so to speak. And so they get hands-on, so you actually put oh, them yes. to work. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, and uh, most of the food that we're growing in the education fields is going to food pantries and meal programs. Um, we started that project during COVID when everybody all of a sudden didn't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables um, because of logistics mostly. Um, and so so kids are getting to taste the food, but they're also, uh, we talk about where it's going and, um, and about, you know, how important having access to fresh fruits and vegetables is for our health. And um, last summer we had a kiddo who was about eight, year old, eight years old get very excited about picking broccoli for the food pantry. He just thought it was the coolest thing in the world that he was getting to help get fresh fruits and vegetables to folks who didn't have access. It's a a nice little circle. Mm -hmm. So it is a complete circle. You're you're teaching them, you're allowing them to work, first and foremost. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, I I once did a... a, uh, documentary for NBC Magazine with David Brinkley on, uh, it was called BT and the Seas, and it was about BT Collins, who Governor Jerry Brown hired to run the California Conservation Corps, which essentially was kids one step away from jail. You know, if you don't do the work here, you're going to jail. Uh, And so we followed, uh, BT was a tough taskmaster. He was a Marine Corps colonel light colonel, uh, and so he had these kids getting up at 5 in the morning, uh, cleaning their bed, their spaces, doing their homework, having breakfast, and then going out and cleaning up the environment, doing hard work. And we followed BT for a week throughout the California conservation camps in California. and But wherever we went... The children just, the kids, the young adults just poured out of their barracks, big smiles on their face, and they loved this man who was giving them work to do and rules to follow. That's what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, meaningful work, you know. Yes. um, Kids understand how pretty um, intuitively how important food is. I mean, if you have raised kids (laughs) or if you're around kids, it's constantly, uh, they're constantly snacking. You're constantly preparing food. It's um, what they do all day long to keep all that energy for running around. 
And so, um, so yeah, so especially I think working with food and working in nature, um, they get to use their bodies, which feels good. They get to get dirty, which they enjoy. Um, and, and, and when they're done, they've done something that's important and matters to other people and feels good for the community. Um, and I think all of those things add up to a good experience. Yeah. Now, there are three kinds of farms I see. Uh, there is the industrial farm. Uh, there are commercial organic farms. And there are community farms. Um, I would say that there is a place for children on one of them, but not necessarily <laughs> the other two. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it does take a special space um, and accommodations. You know, it, yeah, you're right. There's huge tractors um, and, you know, heavy equipment and uh, people working hard. And um, you do kind of have to carve out and make space for kids. I think it's possible in other, um, but but Live Earth is definitely special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a uh, a really special, and we have so many ways for people to come see the farm. Um, but it's it we have lots of little nooks and hedgerows and um, you know places for kids and animals and insects to hide and corners to run around mm-hmm. and fields we can run through and. Um, yeah, that's not always the case on a more industrial scale. Well, you, you um, know, I think we live in one of the most productive agricultural regions in the world, bar none. Uh, yeah. And some of our, our industrial farms uh, are so tightly restricted into what they can do, they're afraid of yeah. birds flying over and defecating in the yeah. fields. They're that frightened. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you you could never put a kid in a field like that. Um, there are also commercial in, uh, commercial organic farms that kind of do everything right, but still are, are industrial to the extent that they can't have kids running around. Um, and, and by and large, almost all of the properties that they have are rented and therefore you must use them to produce or or you can't stay there. Right. So right. live earth is entirely different and unique and focused not so much on I don't know the money as per as instead it seems to be more focused on the community and the environment. Am I wrong? Yeah, it, it's a it's a really different way of thinking about farming um, and and nature and community. But there's um, it kind of flips everything on its head. We're Live Earth Farm is successful because of those things, because of the community and because of the variety and the um, because of the natural environment that's woven into it. Um, and it's uh, it's more of a, a thinking of it, nature in terms of balance and the complexity of an ecosystem rather than trying to simplify it down to more of a factory-like setting um, where it's much more efficient, but that's not how biology works. <laughs> so you cause problems in those settings just because you're not allowing ecology to to work. You're not allowing predators to eat their prey and um, and 
it is uh, maybe even not more efficient over the long run um, because it requires more inputs. It takes a lot of work to weed a row perfectly and um, to water it perfectly and to keep all the insects out. Um, whereas if you let nature do some of that work, you, you may produce less in that field at that time, but over time you're going to have healthier soil and uh, more beneficial insects and more predators that can eat the bad bugs or the, or the gophers or whatever. Um, and, you're, and, and the balance over time is, I think, going to work out for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, we saw it. We've seen it over and over. We saw it during the storms this year, and um, we've seen it in other years where um, uh, some, you know, some farms, one crop will struggle, but we grow 50 different crops, so um, we never lose it all. We haven't yet. <laughs> Should knock on wood. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, we have cover crops on our fields, and so when it rains, not the soil doesn't all run away. Um, we grow perennials on hillsides, so, again, you know, the soil's not running away when it rains. Um, and, and all of that, you know, I think it is how we have to operate in the long run. Um, just taking from the soil and taking from nature isn't going to work out in the long run. <laughs> Yeah, I always think of F.H. King's Farmers of Forty Centuries, where mm. the the Western agriculturalist, Secretary of Agriculture in the year 1900, went to visit China and Asia and to see how farmers there were able to sustain their farms, mm-hmm. farm the same little parcel of land that had been farmed for 4,000 years without any right. inputs of modern times. And uh, <laughs> you you scratch your head and go, how did they do that? And you're kind of following that model of what you do is you you look at nature and you do you, your best to help nature help itself rather than yeah. dominate nature with uh, chemicals that kill everything in its path, you try to amplify the life and let it take care of itself. Well, this is the Food Chain Radio Program, Michael Olson. We're going back to the farm. We're taking children back to the farm with Jessica Bridgeway, who is the executive director of the Farm Discovery at Live Earth. Um, What joy it must be to watch these children spill out of the school buses onto the farm and reach down into the earth and pick something that's live. Wow. It must be like catching a foul ball at the, at the ballpark. <laughs> we will be right back. Stay tuned. So much to say. So little time to say it. On the Food Chain with Michael Olson. Well, how can we lead the young back to the farm? And why should we? Well, I think we should because it would help teach them about life, the business of life, as it were, where we're all living and dying and enjoying it. Um, And it's hard for children to see that in the city, Um, really hard. The deeper you go into the concrete canyons of of big cities, Uh, if you're out in the suburbs, maybe you can learn a little bit about watching grandpa plant roses or what have you. and if you're if you can have a taste of that farm of actually working 
of actually putting your hands in the dirt. What a blessing to give children, to take with them. Uh, because I have a sneaking suspicion that if they get a, a feel for it, a taste of it, uh, it will stick with them. I just read a piece about some um, a young man in Shenzhen who is making his living coding for the computer manufacturers there. And lo and behold, the whole thing fell apart. Uh, so he moved back to the country and he planted orange trees and um, uh, he enlisted one of his uh, f friends who was also a high-tech worker in Shenzhen and now they, they're growing citrus, vitamin C for city people. Um, and it's, it, it went back to the farm. So maybe it's something that uh, we can ho all hope for, that our children might find that opportunity. And uh, so we have a model here. It's called, uh, it's called Farm Discovery at Live Earth. And Jessica Ridgway has been running the program for 16 years. Jessica, do you see in Farm Discovery a model that could be adopted elsewhere? Oh, yeah, yes, and it is. I mean, there are uh, farm and garden education programs all over the country, um, and uh, I think it comes, you know, the, the reason people are doing this is because uh, farming is super important work, and um, we are losing farmers to, you know, who are aging out of the possibility it's hard work, and, and we've moved away from that a lot. Um, but it, but it it really is a different um, it's a different life. It's it's being it feels very different to be connected to land in the way that farmers are, and I I know people are um, kind of hankering for that. And not everybody is, and we don't need everybody to grow food, but we do need some people to choose that life um, because we're not going to survive without food. <laughs> you know, I, th I think, days. yeah, Jessica, <laughs> I think we need the smart people to be growing food. Yes, well, yeah, the way you grow it matters, absolutely, yeah, That's... yeah, and I think, you know, people are looking, hunting, not everybody's satisfied with the, the video game, you know, uh, city life, um, like like that story you just told, it it. it it feels lacking sometimes. It feels lonely. It feels um, like something's missing, and something is missing. We're we're we evolved with nature. We evolved, you know, living much closer to the plants and animals that sustain us, and um, and it, that's why it feels so good to be around them, um, because it was part of how we, you know, developed our culture and developed our our bodies. <laughs> You know, um, during the Great Leap Forward in China, Mao Zedong uh, had to figure out what to do with his Red Guards that were running amok throughout the country. And so he sent them to the countryside, you get a, chased them all out of the city, and forced them to go back to the countryside and live with the peasants. And... Mm -hmm. And it was kind of an interest. What do you do with kids in the city that that, that there's nothing for them to do? Right. Um, you got to find something for them to do that's meaningful. 
And when right. Mao Zedong sent them out to the country, the country kind of took care of them. I, you know, mm -hmm. brought them in, and this is how you plant a carrot. <laughs> right. Um, perhaps our country will sometime come to the conclusion that its children should go back to the country and learn as well. And what you put together here is is a, a good start. So as they go, as kids go through their lives, they'll remember what what you brought them to. I'm curious, though, how do kids react when you ask them to work at something? <laughs> it depends on their age. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. um, yep. Um, younger kids love it. They have no problem with it. They can't wait. Um, adolescents are a little different. They um, take a little more convincing sometimes. Um they take a lot more breaks, and um, that to you know, in that stage of life, the only thing that matters is your friends. Um, and so, you know, if you get a, a group of kids who are interested, then you get a group of kids who work hard and um, and do it together. And because they're doing it together, they're they're uh, lifting each other up. Um, and it can go the other way as well. Mm -hmm. And you have to lead by example and give breaks where needed and encouragement and um and like i said you know projects that are uh, uh doable um nobody nobody wants to look at the giant field of lettuce and think that they're gonna have to pick that whole thing in the sun so um you know reminding them that they, that they have each other to work with that they're you know gonna get this project done that it's not going to take forever and when they're done there's something worthwhile of a huge flat of strawberries or a bunch of tomatoes that'll eventually be pizza sauce. Um, and you, that you just inspire by, by leading and, and finding the joy and, you know, don't take away their opportunity to chat. Weeding next to each other is a great way to connect with someone because, you know, you have your hands busy and you start talking and people will open up. And so just allowing for those opportunities and, you know, not saying, hey, you're not picking fast enough because you're talking, but more encouraging all of the experience. And we have that, you know, we, we have that luxury because we are not growing for market. We are um, growing for the experience. Mm -hmm. And yet you are growing for market, too, though, on the farm, are you <laughs> yeah. not? Yes, yes, yes. But we don't have to be quite as efficient. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And and that is the difference in the model, uh, you know. I think mm -hmm. I think of uh, some of the farmers in your neck of the woods, are have become very 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 big growing organic produce, uh, but do not own their land. Yeah. And so, uh, when you're in in production agriculture like that, you you rent land for very high costs. And you have to make certain that every square inch of that land is producing cash crops to pay for the bills. And that's just the way it is. Uh, right. And right. similarly, if you're in production, you know, conventional agriculture, which is kind of like a big factory planted on the soil, um, you have investors, you have bankers, you have everybody looking at you saying – Earn, 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 earn. 
<laughs> and yeah. if you're yeah. slacking off, you're going to be in big trouble. So you, you have to keep things going. But when you, have, when you own your property and you own your community, that when, when you're actually farming in partnership with your community, it's another story then. And that's the story that yeah. you're living, right? Yeah, you know, the CSA model um, was uh, developed for to support farmers, to, to allow the community to support their farmers. Um, and a, a really important piece of it was that folks would pay up front before the season started. When farmers had all their expenses and no income, um, and just invest for the whole season in that farm. And then the farmer would do their darndest to grow as much as possible for all those folks who invested in them. Um, and, uh, you know, the rest of the season, fresh fruits and vegetables would show up on your doorstep or in your neighborhood. Um, and it is a very different model than, uh, than you typically see in farming. And farming's hard. It's um, it's tricky business. You know, Think prices change for what you can get. You really, food is undervalued in in a big way, and um, we don't pay what it costs to grow it a lot of the time. Um, and so farmers are in a in a pinch most of the time. And yeah. I think we are lucky to be so supported by our community. Um, and I think and the community, really, you know, it gets right down to it. That's a reciprocal arrangement because a community is right. fortunate to have a farm that's growing for it. Right, right, uh, right. And we really did feel appreciated uh, during the pandemic when folks started worrying about where their fresh food was going to come from. I mean, how lucky are we to be on the Central Coast in this salad bowl and to have um, you know, a number of CSA farms and these farmers markets that magically, amazingly stayed open. I know they worked really hard to make that possible. Um, and, and we were really in a better place than a lot of people in the country when, when that happened because we still had access, but it certainly also made people appreciate that more. How do you and they finally had time to cook, right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We have time to cook and make stews and soups and things with wonderful yeah. foods. Uh, life no bread. <laughs> yeah. yeah, life was good. Um, and, you know, I think we learned a lot during that time, too. I think it taught us uh, about how precious things can be. Yeah. How, did you, how did you go about selling farm discovery and live earth to the community to, in order to develop this incredible yeah. relationship that you have. Oh, I mean, it's not, it's we not really like. We really didn't you... have to sell it. Yeah, we, I mean, uh, we, we asked the community if they wanted us and, and what they wanted from us and developed the programs around that. So there was no convincing anyone. They, they told us what they needed. Um, and we work to provide that, and we are constantly doing that. I mean, we're, we're seeking feedback on everything we do and um, really designing it for what the community needs. If, um, you know, if I heard, well, the pandemic was a good example. We obviously weren't running field trips all of a sudden and um, weren't sure we would have a summer camp, but then uh, essential workers had to go back to work, and their kids were home. So, um so we said, well, well, we'll take the kids. You know, we'll we'll figure out how to 
um, work in small pods and keep them masked and keep them outside and do everything we could to protect them and keep them safe while their parents had to go to work. Um, and it worked really well, it, and it survived, you know, until kids were fully back in school. We had kids on the farm doing their schooling and, um, and doing a, a, a different version of our summer camp programs. Um, and we were just in the right position to offer that because we already worked outside all the time. <laughs> we knew how to do that, um, and we already worked with kids, and we already were educators, um, and so, you know, the and, community said they needed us, and we stepped up. What a blessing for parents to have their children yeah. be outside in COVID times. Yeah. Yeah, and it was something the schools didn't really feel they could do for whatever reason, you know, very different reasons at different schools. Um, but it was a great solution uh, to have, you know, to just be in the fresh air. Well, Jessica, looking into the future, um, what kind of future do you see for our children? I think, um, you know, they, they're going to have their work cut out for them, fixing all the problems we've created. But um, I do think that there's a lot of hope, and, and this, the kids are amazing, and they're resilient, and they're smart, and... Um, and they're going to hopefully, you know, at the, with this generation growing up so connected to social media and stuff, I, I, I hope for them that they, um, and, and they do seem to already be this way, kind of more aware and, um, and really looking for health. You know, they're, they're not, they don't put up with um, people treating them badly and they don't put up with feeling bad themselves. They really seek out the care that they need. I see that all, all the time. And I hope that they, you know, realize that one of the things they need is to be outside every once in a while and put a device down and um, just be in quiet or be in community um, and be physically active. And, and then, you know, things, things will be fine if, if we take care of ourselves in that way and we take care of each other in those ways. Do the children put down their electronic devices when they're on the farm? Yes, yeah. We don't have like a strict, you know, put it in the bucket policy, but um, but we don't. There's no time for being on a device while they're on the farm. <laughs> Amen yeah. to that. Amen to that. There is no time for that when they're on the farm. Wow. Jessica Ridgway, Executive Director of Farm Discovery at Live Earth Farm. What a blessing to um, have you on the show today. And uh, thank you so much for that gesture, uh, that spontaneous gesture of winning the 50-50 and giving your 50 back to the farm community, perhaps in the hope that uh, it will help foster an even better farm community. Thank you for all yeah. you do, and thank you for taking care of our children. This has been The Food Chain. Remember Michael Olson's third law of the food chain, cheap food isn't. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with Michael Olson. And if your friends miss the show, 
tell them to log on the food chain page at metrofarm.com for a listen. Now, go out and find some food with its farmer's face on it and live. <laughs>